Rocking this USA in a positive way every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. You're tuned in to David Essel Alive, America's positive radio talk show. We welcome aboard the 12 million XM Satellite Radio subscribers as we are heard, listened to right now on XM Channel 168 and streaming worldwide at talkdavid.com. Broadcasting as we ever do every Saturday, as we always do every Saturday, out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California. Proud to be part of the premier radio network. 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. Coming up in a couple minutes, we've got an awesome guest returning, Dr. Devi. Harvard-trained physician, assistant professor at NYU School of Med. We're going to be talking about relationships. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. Is it possible in this incredibly tiny figment of our imagination that we could be 100% responsible for all of our failed relationships? Can you even Can you even grasp that concept? That if you've been married one or two or three times or four or five or six times or whatever it might be, that it could have been 100% your responsibility for choosing that person? Could you even go there? Is it even possible that that could be true? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like that is such a stress. Doctor, we're going to talk to Dr. Debbie about that. Is that true? Is it false? Could it really be 100% on our shoulders? I cannot wait to talk with her because this is going to be Interesting. 1-800-548-8255. I want to go to this email. Uh, not too long ago, we were talking about different conditions, headaches, anxiety, depression, and how they often have, of course, multiple sources. But one of the biggest ones is submerged emotion, emotion not dealt with. And the other, in some of these cases, could be food allergies. So, we just we, we received this note in from uh, parents of a ten year old who kept getting headaches in school. They followed uh, they write they go on to write that we followed your advice regarding two things: emotional healing and food allergies. Through a counselor, we found he was very angry and insecure, and we've started to see positive changes with his counseling. He also is sensitive to all milk products and is no longer consuming anything that has milk in it, his headaches have already decreased by 50% in 30 days. Isn't that an awesome success story? And when when we talk about these things, of course, at first it sounds so out there, right? Like, oh, wait a minute. How could headaches be caused by submerged emotions and food allergies? And yet we see it all the time. For 25 years, we've seen this happen. And sometimes there's a, a huge medical underlying condition as well could be something with nerves. It could be something with uh, their eyes. You know, like a lot of times they find with kids who have headaches during school that there's something that they have to do with corrective visioning, right? Glasses, etc. And then other times we find it's none of that. It's just 100% food allergies, emotions, things like that. So it's really worth taking a look at. And, and, and if, if your child also, too, remember this, parents, that if you've gone through a separation, you've gone through a divorce, watch your children for the next six months to a year, because sometimes that trauma, regardless of how effortless some of these divorces can be, sometimes most of them are pretty damn stressful for the children. They start feeling guilty that they have to choose sides. Parents sometimes unconsciously ask them to choose sides, and that can manifest in anxiety, depression, illness of all kinds. So be highly aware of that. 
8255. Dr. Debbie is back with us. Uh, you may have seen her on CNN. She's been also on the Dr. Oz show. You may have seen her there. Harvard trained physician, assistant professor at NYU School of Medicine, talking relationships. Dr. Debbie, welcome back. And we, let's see, is Dr. Debbie with us? Hello, Dr. Debbie. Well, you know what we're going to do? We must have had a, a drop in the line, so we're going to get Dr. Debbie back, and we're going to talk about this incredible thought process around relationships. How many of us have been in multiple relationships, and when we talk about the reason that they did not succeed, it's because of the other person, right? It's because of the other person. It has to be the other person. When we come back from this break, we're going to have Dr. Debbie on the air talking about, could it even be possible that 100% responsibility from all our failed relationships is us? Let's find out. 1-800-548-8255. Text us. If you have a question, a comment, 941 941- Two six six seven six seven six, or email us during the show at talkdavid.com. I'm David Essel. Stay there. David Essel Live, every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. Welcome aboard, and we thank you so much for taking some of your time out of your busy day to join us here. Positive Talk Radio, 21 years in the making, 1-800-548-8255, 800-548-8255. So before the break, we were talking about this topic, and my guest, Dr. Debbie, who's been on CNN, Dr. Oz, She's a Harvard-trained physician, assistant professor at NYU School of Medicine, and the question is going to be about relationships. So you go through life and you have a series of relationships. If you were to look back right now, would you say to yourselves that the ones, I'm assuming that some of them have failed (laughs) since we've had a series of them. I don't think they're all still with you. So if we've had a series of relationships and they've failed, do we say things like, well, I just chose the wrong person I must have been out of my mind. I must have been drunk to be with that person for that long. Or does anyone ever say, you know what? And when I look back, I have to be honest with you. Every one of those failed relationships was my responsibility. Where do you think you stand with that? Dr. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me back. Ah, it's awesome to have you back. So when when people look back, Dr. Debbie, at their failed relationships, what percentage of people in the world, do you think would say, as I look back at these five or six or eight or ten failed relationships, what percentage of people would say they are all my fault? Probably very close to zero. I think it's difficult <laughs> for people to think about uh, that concept. But at the same time, you know, newer studies and newer research are really looking at it and suggest that most people have a pattern in their relationships so that they tend to repeat that same pattern over and over in their unsatisfying relationship. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what's the reason that, you know, there's this classic, as a matter of fact, I just went through this conversation with a woman in my office last week, a brand new client 
who always chooses the bad boys, right? Yeah. What's 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 the what's the science behind a woman? And we'll just stay with women with this one. A woman who would always choose the bad boys. What's what, what what's going on there? Well, so there are a couple different things. I mean, some are social factors, some are kind of environmental and genetic factors. But if we look at it, I mean, women are always, or I shouldn't say always, but generally taught to be the good girl, the nurturer, the one who's caring for the family and caring for other people, perhaps putting other people's needs above her own. I mean, this happens with mothers. This happens sometimes with wives. So that's kind of uh, the woman's role a lot of times in society, to be the nurturer. So what can happen is, you know, if she is with a bad boy or something, then you can sometimes see these relationships where the bad boy may be a little mm-hmm. bit more of a, let's say, narcissist. I, I don't want to say that only, but sometimes, you know, putting their own needs ahead. And then the woman tends to fall into a pattern of being sometimes dependent on that person and also letting that person think that their needs are more important. So in extreme examples, I'm not saying all women are like this, but in extreme examples, you'll see people where uh, the man thinks that their needs are the primary, you know, goal for the relationship, and then the woman tends to agree with that, and then they have a dysfunctional relationship where um, sometimes the woman feels like she's not being given enough importance at certain times or the man is not paying attention to her, and then they both get sort of upset and unsatisfied. Now, how is that? Because at, at one point, Dr. Debbie, that's acceptable to her. You know, yeah. at some point, like for the first 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, one year, it's acceptable. How, how how does she convince herself it's acceptable then? And then what's the break that all of a sudden she awakens and says, this guy's an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to know what the breaking point is for people. But sometimes, you know, the reason that people might think it's acceptable at first is we get these patterns a lot of times when we're children or what based on what our parents teach us. So sometimes, you know, we're taught to feel that the other person's needs are more important, let's say if it's, if it's the woman. So she may find a relationship where she can do that, but then as time goes on, I mean, both people tend to get a little bit more escalated. So, um, you know, for example, let's say, let's just pick a different trait, for example. Like if people are, um, if the man is more avoidant or let's say cool, calm, collected, a little bit colder, a little bit more withdrawn, and the woman is a little bit more fiery and jealous, if you think about it, those two traits can kind of spiral against each other. If someone's more avoidant and they're with someone who's jealous, they become even more avoidant. And if right. someone is already a little bit jealous and they're with someone who then is withdrawn and not really forthcoming with their emotions or their behaviors, then that person can become more jealous. So it's usually that uh, what starts out as acceptable just escalates into something that's becoming more and more unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And... And when we look back at the patterns, and I, and I'm, I'm saying this smiling because I know that this next point is going to be very, very difficult for many of our listeners to grasp, for many of the people in the world to grasp. How is it that we break down our own walls of resistance to see the truth, which is we are 100% responsible, unless you disagree with me. And if you do, Dr. Debbie, I mean, let me, let me know, but, wouldn't you say that the truth is that there's no one that has any responsibility in choosing partners other than ourselves? I agree with you about that. I, I don't think we have control over what other people do, but we definitely have control over who we pick. And we also have some control over the behavior pattern we fall into in relationships. So it's right. sort of a cause and effect thing. If we act a certain way, the other person may respond in sort of a predictable 
you know, manner. Sure. Sure. But we're not going to, but we're not going to break this pattern until we come to the, and, and I, I believe this with all my heart. We're not going to ever break this pattern of unsuccessful relationships until we come to the understanding that we are the one bringing these people in. I agree with you completely, David. We have to come to that realization, and it's very difficult. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to actually, you know, accept that concept, or even even if you don't accept it, to just stop and take a look at your relationships and see what was unsatisfying about them, you know. Is there a mm. common pattern between these people? And sometimes the most painful part is really looking at your other relationships besides romantic ones, like your relationships with your family members, your relationships with coworkers, or your job, and look to see if there's a similar pattern in each of these relationships that have become unsatisfying. We're talking with Dr. Devi, who's a um, uh, assistant professor at NYU School of Medicine, Harvard-trained physician. DrDevi.com is her website, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-E-V-I.com, Dr. Devi. Dot com. When when um, when we look at is it the same thing for men? Uh, men that select women that will use the word high maintenance, and you, you see a guy selecting one woman after another um, might be physically attractive, at least to him. Obviously, uh, demands a lot, wants a lot, very self centered. You know, the narcissist in, in, from a woman's perspective is the pattern the same? And and what would make a guy continue to select that type of woman, even though his two, three, four, six, eight failed? relationships were all the same type of women well sometimes men want to be the hero and there's a damsel in distress so you can you can kind of see that pattern happen where the man feels like the woman is high maintenance but he has to jump in and kind of respond to her needs lavish her with attention do these different things to be in that savior role and then Mm -hmm. it kind of continues that way where the person on the receiving end may start having more and more distress so again it sort of accelerates or escalates and then becomes more troubling. But it's part of it is how we view ourselves. So if we view ourselves as somebody who has to be needed or somebody who's a savior, then we tend to find people who demand a lot from us. It's Both people are getting something out of that relationship. I think the hard thing for people is to look to see when they are in dysfunctional relationships, what did they get from it? Because there must have been something in order for there to be a relationship versus for right. them to walk away pretty early on. Yeah. And, and what you're, you're sharing right there, then that's, that's the classic, ca- uh, definition of codependency. Yeah, exactly. It, right? Is, is the person that needs to save or the person that needs to be saved. So you have those two people and their energies in a, in a, in an unhealthy way are, are beaming out so strongly that Mr. White Knight sees the little distressful princess and he comes and save her. And, and it's the worst thing in the world for both of them, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So at first it seems to work because their negative traits match, you know, pretty Mm. well. So it kind of works for a little while. But then as the negative traits both escalate, that becomes the dominant quality, not their positive traits. Right, 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 right. Now, I want to go into an area that is highly sensitive. And it's an area (laughs) that... um, that a lot of people really struggle in. My belief systems are quite different than the way these people are dealt with in centers today. And, um, and it is, it's based on the whole victim philosophy of abused and abusers in relationships. And, and Dr. Debbie, I want to go there because, um, 
if, if again, if we can't get honest with people that are in either of those roles, um, the woman who abuses the man, the man who abuses the woman, or the abused person that continues to return. Here we have patterns again. Continues to return to those same type of relationships. If we can't get to the core of either of those people and have them see their responsibility, they're not going to heal, are they? I agree with you. I agree with you, especially when it's a pattern. I mean, one freak incident, nobody can control that. But if you find yourself always in the same pattern, then there is something that can be done to change that or to break that pattern. And, you know, the people that we see, and both men and women we've worked with who come from the being the abused individual, when they come in and they've been through other trainings before they get to us, the mindset is that of the victim, is that it's, it isn't fair, they did nothing. How do you get that person to accept responsibility for the quote-unquote nothingness that they've done in a pattern of relationships and where they have been abused? Any ideas? Well, I try not to uh, confront people right away because at first if you're meeting someone, they don't really have a connection with you. You don't want to put them on the defensive, and you also don't want to challenge everything that they have come to believe through other programs. So I try to you know, talk about neutral things first, but that might build up to other things. So I try to ask them about their childhood, about their other experiences, about their positive relationships. What I've noticed sometimes is that a quality that attracts them to someone you know, it's also the same quality that brings about something negative. So, for example, let's say, you know, the word determination. So that can be a positive thing, but if you take it to an extreme, it could be stubborn and inflexible as well. So I try to look to see what are people actually looking for, what qualities do they find consistently that they think are positive, and then over time try to look to see if those same qualities manifest themselves as something negative and if the person can identify that themselves. And then over time, if they notice that this is being repeated in various relationships, then I think it's a little bit easier to be able to break that barrier and talk to them about what they're looking for, what role they might have in this. Right. Oh, and I agree. I mean, I, I agree a thousand percent. Never to come right out and talk to someone and say, hey, I'm seeing this pattern and guess what your role is, especially when it's something as devastating as emotional and or physical abuse. Um, the, the, the other point, though, that I just think is so important, at some point we have to be willing to stand in the strength and power of what we know to be true. And when there is a pattern that is so blatantly there in our faces, we cannot deny it and allow yeah. the person to believe that they've just been a victim again by life and this is what men do and this is how I've been taken advantage of and and we have to break that victim pattern. Dr. Debbie, I'm going to ask you to stay right there. I'm going to come back with a final question with Dr. Debbie. More information on her, visit drdebbie.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-E-V-I.com. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Debbie about what do we do First, right now today, if you're not in a relationship and you look back at your failed ones and you want to make a difference in your life, what are the first couple steps we could take to get our head wrapped around the potential of attracting a really good partner? 1-800-548-8255 is the phone number. TalkDavid.com. Email us during the show at TalkDavid.com. Text us during the show, 941 266 7676 Positive Talk Radio. I'm David Essel. Stay right there.
David Essel alive. My favorite song out today right now, Flo Rida. I love this song. This is absolutely my favorite song. I'm in my office the other day, and there's a woman that has an office down for me who's probably 25. And, uh, and I said to her, I go, hey, Rachel, I go, um, what do you think my favorite song is right now? And she looks at me and goes, oh, my God, David, I don't know. And she was going to say, you know, like something, the Beatles, or something like that, right? And I go, come on, it's rap. She looks at me, she goes, it is not. I go, yeah. I go, it is. I'm not kidding you. And so she, I said, guess. And she goes, I could never guess. I go, come on. I go, okay, the first name of the guy is F. And so she finally guessed Flo Rider, But she didn't guess the song, Cry a Little. I love that song. Thank you very much, Nathan and Will, producing the show, for finding it for me. And uh, I think we're just going to play it at every break. 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. Dr. Debbie, don't you love that Flo Rida? <laughs> of course, David. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> See, Dr. Debbie and I are rap fans. Now, most people don't know that, but we dig rap music, and there you go. So, drdebbie.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-E-V-I.com to find out more about here. So, Dr. Debbie, as, as, we, as we leave this segment, a question that I had posted before for you is, so, so what do we do? We look and we, we're, and, and let's say for those people that are single right now, they're looking at their past, they want to create something really beautiful, where do we go? What are two really important steps that they could take? Well, most people who are in dysfunctional relationships or unsatisfying relationships, they realize that there's something wrong with it and they want to make a change. But the reason that they actually stick with it for as long as they do is because they're afraid of being alone. They're afraid of being in no relationship. So the first mm-hmm. step for a person who wants to make a difference is to sit down and really face that possibility of being alone. Not forever, but at least for a period of time because if you try to avoid all the dysfunctional relationships or step away from them, at first there's going to be a backlash. You know, things may intensify. You might be alone for a small period or short period. But then once you set the standard of really looking for healthy relationships, really valuing your own self-worth and looking for somebody who can match your positive qualities, then you can find that. But there is a period before that that might be extremely uncomfortable or lonely. I love that advice. Right on. And what else? Well, if you can't face your fears, if you can't face being alone, then it's a matter of figuring out what are the qualities that you're attracted to or drawn to and what do those qualities in other relationships or people in other relationships bring out in you that you want to avoid. So if you can make an inventory or a list of those things, then it's a little bit easier to see, oh, you know, what kinds of signs should I look for? When should I have known in my past relationships that maybe something was off? It's not a matter of being so self-critical, but it's really kind of looking at the past relationships to figure out where could I have done something different and then using that knowledge to change things for the future. Uh, but I it's love worth it. being, yeah, it's worth being prepared though that maybe at first it will be more difficult. It will be extremely difficult. Any type of change is very uncomfortable, especially if the people around you don't expect you to make that change. Right, 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 right. And you, you mentioned being alone. We, we, we believe wholeheartedly that people who are coming from dysfunctional, unhealthy, codependent relationships need that downtime to do that inner work that you're discussing, Dr. Debbie, because without it, we're just going to keep repeating that pattern, aren't we? It seems like it. I think so, David. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's comfortable even if it's unhealthy. It's what we know. And gang, it's time to break it. Hey, Dr. Debbie, next time you have we have you back on, I just want to know, and I'm sure this is going to be important to you, that I'll be bringing some updated rap music for you then as well, okay? All right, that sounds good. <laughs> okay, it's always always great to talk to you, and we will be having you back on. All right, thanks, David. It was great to be back on today. Enjoy the holidays. Okay, you too, Dr. Debbie. Bye-bye now. Bye. 1-800-548-8255. Hey, if you have spent time alone and you want to get back into the world of dating, watch one of our, we have 450 videos on YouTube. Um, this is what I wanted to do, and I'm, I'm being very serious with this. Go to YouTube, type in David Essel slash Machete Dating. Yes, just like it sounds. David Essel slash Machete Dating. Watch that video before you start dating again. After you've taken some downtime and you want to start dating again, you got to watch that video. Because when you watch it, you're going to know exactly what you're in for and how to handle life from now on. 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. As we head into 2013, if you're really serious about accomplishing goals, whether it's radically changing your relationships or getting sober or making a ton more money or changing your body or getting closer to God, if in this next year, 2013, if you want to make this your year, I want you to consider working with me one-on-one with our Master Mentor Program. It is our most detailed, most intense, and most highly accountable life coaching program that we have, the Master Mentor Program. I work with you 52 straight weeks one-on-one. <laughs> You're not going to get enough of me, are you? 52 straight weeks one-on-one with the Master Mentor Program. Go to talkdavid.com. Of course, we've got all kinds of programs available. But if you're ready for the big one, for the whole enchilada, and you want to make 2013 your year, let's work together through the Master Mentor Program. I'm going to be with you for 52 straight weeks one-on-one, and we will rock it. I guarantee that. TalkDavid.com. Check out Master Mentor Program. 1-800-548-8255. Here's another holiday dilemma that just came in. Holiday parties with teenagers. Listen to this one. Six months ago, you had a call, a call-in topic about teenagers drinking with adults, quote unquote, in the safety of adult supervision. I remember this conversation. Uh, you said right then it's against the law period, and I still believe that today. I just found out my 15-year-old has been drinking at friends' homes with their parents. Each kid is limited to three beers. Don't you just love this? What the hell do I do with this? Not allow her out, or just not allow her there? I'm really looking forward to your response. What do you think? Is this insane? Do you know, like, okay, I'm going to, I'll be honest with you. Call me, 1-800-548-8255. Is this insane? What the hell are parents thinking that they're going to moderate the drinking? Do you think, I, I mean, I could almost throw something through a roof right now. Do you think that if you say to a kid, when you're here drinking with us, you're only going to have three beers, that that has anything to do with what they're going to do when they're not around you? Number one. Number two, isn't that against the law? 1-800-548-8255. And if we as parents are saying it's okay to break the law in this instance, what are we saying to kids about it's not okay to break the law or it's okay to break the law in anywhere else? Oh, my God. Talk to me. 1-800-548-8255. What would you tell this woman? Would you tell her to not allow her daughter, 15 years old, to go just to that house would you tell her not to allow her daughter out 
anywhere where there's alcohol at all, what would you do? If your child came home 15 years of age and you've told them not to drink and they go, but you know what? I did have three beers, but I was with Mrs. Smith and Mr. Smith. They were both there and they make sure no one has more than three beers. What would you do? What would you do? 1-800-548-8255. Am I so old fashioned? Now, when I was a kid, I was a hellion. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was all those things. Okay. And, and I'm not against alcohol. I'm not totally against it, but what the hell? is going on, doesn't this seem insane? Like, when I was a kid and drinking, of course, I stole it, I snuck it, I there was no parents that were going, you know what, come on over, David, as long as you're with us, you can have three beers. Isn't that crazy, or am I crazy? Or or maybe I'm nuts, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is, maybe in 2012, 2013, this is the way, quote-unquote, we try to moderate and teach kids to moderately drink. Is that the answer? And maybe I'm really off base here, and I would love to know. Is that the answer to try to help kids not drink and not steal alcohol and not get hammered when 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 they're not underneath adult supervision? 1-800-548-8255. Text us at 941-266-7676. A text just came in. Uh, uh, this is what we do with our children as well. I want to make sure that they know that they're going to have a limited amount to drink and not get drunk. This is amazing to me. 1-800. I don't know. 1-800-548-8255. New England. Chuck is on the air with David Essel. Hey, Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas. I going to explode, I swear. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so I find out that my teenager is over at their friend's house drinking when the permission of their parents and I'm not notified? Okay, it's going to take everything in my fiber of being to not go over there and staple those parents to the wall. <laughs> I mean, what are you thinking? You're not going to tell me the parents? Oh, my gosh. No, okay, I would not ban the kids from going to that house. I would put my children in a lockbox in the basement, and they would not come out until they're 30. Okay, so <laughs> emotional rant over. People need to understand, okay, the guilt of you doing it when you were a kid, okay, and now you have kids. Well, we all did it when we were kids, you know, and it turned out fine. Right. That, that's what gets you to think that it's okay, okay, scientifically. Your brain continues to grow until you are 23 to 25 years old. Alcohol, before that, damages the development of the brain. You're 15 years old and you're getting drunk? Not really smart, okay? Yeah, Chuck, Chuck, so, so would you even let your child back over to that house? No, absolutely not. And I would yeah. tell those parents... If I find out my child was over there drinking again, I'm going to call the police and I'm going to have them arrested. I would tell Interesting. them that. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. No. It's not a matter of them drinking under the age, under the supervision of a parent. It's a matter of that. I'm not notified of this. Am I going to find out this from my children? I mean, you yeah. just demonstrated that you are an irresponsible parent. You know what yes. I mean? Yes, I, oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. But you know what's weird, Chuck? And, you know, I just got this text in saying that, you know, these people do the same thing. I, I, I don't know if it's a pattern that has evolved over the years or if it's just one of those squeaky wheels get the oil. I, I'm, no. I'm not sure if it's a, a, a... What do you think? It's... 
Okay, so when you were young, you sold alcohol or you got that friend to buy the beer, whatever. Okay, you yeah. get it. You, you circumvented authority and, you know, everybody does it. It's part of human nature. So when you grow up, you're like, well, my kids are going to do it anyway, you know, and stuff like that. It still doesn't make it right. You know? Yes. If, if I beat up my younger brother over they're just kids, okay, so then if my kids do it, what do I say? Oh, they're just kids? No. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, where, where do you draw the line, you know? Right, right, Chuck. I mean, you know, you got to understand, when you're a kid and you're doing something against your parents' authority, it is wrong. There is a reason why your parents said not to do it. So then when you become a parent, you're like, well, I'd rather have to just do it, you know, in, in you know, my company so where they're not, you know, hurt or do something stupid. I can understand that, but the conversation that you need to have is with your children to get them to understand that when you broke your, your, your you know, mother, father's, you know, uh, rule way back when, tell them the consequences of what might have happened. And there are countless stories out there of this kind of thing happening, something gets out of control, and the kids get hurt or killed or whatever. Exactly, you know, Chuck. Exactly, Chuck. That's the conversation Chuck. that you need yes. to have with your children. You need to stop I, I, them from doing it by making them understand how dangerous it is. I love it. And Chuck, thank you so much for calling. I love your yep. wisdom. Have a good day, man. Okay, you too. 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. So what is, what's, what's wrong with this picture? How is it? That we're justifying, and would you justify, if you had children, and it's okay, if you disagree with me, totally call us. If you have children, do you think it's okay to give them beer, to give them wine, to keep them under quote-unquote control, to make sure they don't overdrink? Do you find that that's validated right now today, that that's an okay way to teach your children? If you have children's, your friends, or their friends' kids over, is it okay to do the same with them without notifying their parents? 1-800-548-8255. Looking forward to talking to you. This is something now that's come up multiple times in the last six months. We'd love to know your thoughts on this. 1-800-548-8255. I'm David Essel. Stay there. David Essel Live is always a good time. 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. A couple messages coming in about this holiday parties, uh, parents giving kids alcohol. I agree that this is breaking the law. The child should not return to that house. So the mom was wondering, should I let the child back into the house where the parents have actually given given her drinks, alcohol? Another uh, response the parents' intentions are sending the wrong message on multiple levels. I agree 100%. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm going to close this out just with this one comment. Uh, you know, we are role models. Parents are role models. If we're saying it's okay to break the law in this way, that's going to send the message to the kids that breaking the law is totally discretionary. That's what it says. You know what? If you don't like the law, don't follow it. That's the message parents are giving when they're feeding children uh, young adults under the age alcohol. Bingo. 
<laughs> it's pretty simple. 1-800-548-8255. Um, this is interesting. Uh, your last interview brought up an interesting thought for me. Is polyamory real? Can you love two people equally in relationships? How do you keep jealousy out of the equation? I'm on the fence with two women, and one of them recommended I just keep dating them both. That is a, a very fascinating. Is polyamory real? Well, I think it is, of course. You can love two people at the same time. The question that you brought up is fascinating. Equally, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, I think you can love them equally for different reasons and different things. Yes. Um, and so the answer could very well be yes. So you might be in love with two different people, maybe dating them both, and you find one of them brings all of these amazing gifts of nurturing and love and support, and uh, and maybe there's physical gifts that that person has, and then the other one is a free spirit or an entrepreneur, a business person, and you could just love that side of them because that's their dominant personality side, their dominant personality trait. So I could see that polyamory would be real, and I think you could love two people at the same time equally uh, as deep, yes, for different reasons. I, I I could I could see that happening in a heartbeat. As a matter of fact, I, it hasn't been for a couple years, but a number of years ago, I worked with uh, two different sets of individuals. Uh, both of them, it was one man and two women that were trying to live this as a lifestyle. And the biggest problem that you bring up in your question here is how do you keep jealousy out of the equation? And I think most people that are trying to date, not just not just live with two two people uh, in a relationship, but trying to date two people in a relationship where everyone knows what's on board is the whole concept of jealousy. And I don't know if it's possible to keep that out of the equation, honestly. I really don't know. I'm not sure it is possible to keep jealousy out of it. Um, but it's a very interesting point that you bring up. It's a, a great conversation piece. And my bottom line is, I think you can. I think you can love two people equally and as deeply, but probably for different reasons. Now, in regards to making that work as a long-term relationship, I think that could be very difficult. 1-800-548-8255. You keep saying that people cannot learn to meditate by themselves uh, and that books on this subject rarely work. And the question is why? Well, I'll tell you why it rarely works. In the West, anyway, and in the East these days, uh, for the last probably 50 years or so, it's all about accomplishment. It's all about instant gratification. It's about getting stuff that we want right now, which is the opposite of meditation. Meditation is being in the moment, not worrying about the future, not worrying about the past, being present. Meditation is about not doing. And in our society, it's all about doing. So we struggle with this concept of meditation, learning it on our own, because the brain is wired like 10,000 monkeys in a cell to keep working, thinking, acting. It's the exact opposite of what meditation is doing. So um, I, I think what we need to do is look at using, you know, learning how to do this uh, via CDs or a program or a program. Hey, let's uh, let's go to Kansas. Bert, we got uh, 30 seconds. Bert, you're on with David Essel. Go for it. Um, you, on the uh, scenario, because you have a uh, group of kids, we used to do it, you used to do it, we all did it. And I think that the problem is it depends on how much trust, as you say, will be encouraged. If you can go out and hold your discipline, 
And in the confines of a trustworthy relationship with people that you may or may not know down the street, if they can keep, if your kids are going to stay there and they're not going to go out on the road and they're not going to get in somebody else's car that's old enough to drive, if that's the case. But we did it. One turned out to be a stockbroker. You know, that'd be the car for the course. And right. uh, one's on Wall Street, one's who's uh, finance, one's uh, up and down, pulled out of the of the, of the uh, off the diamond and got into coaching. So, you know, back then it was oh. much different. We did not have- All right. Thank you, Bert. We got to run, but thank you. I'm David Essel. Have a great week, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.